I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right, this is The Big Douglas Show, and my guest today is the host of the Pro Football Fantasy Football Podcast, Ian Hardings. Ian, how are you, my man? Doing great, man. I'm pumped to see, you know, the entire fantasy community really starting to get back into the swing of things, you know, as someone that is pretty much, you know, tweeting or watching highlights every single day of the year. I never quite turn it off, but I'm happy to see, you know, we got the public, the quote unquote casuals uh, come back who I'm not trying to use that term, uh, you know, as an insult by any stretch. I'm just happy. There's football talk in the air. My Twitter is full of random meaningless training camp reports. Great, great, great day to be great. And here we are. Oh, I love it. Uh, so I, I love asking these questions to the guys that kind of do this year round, and, and it certainly has become more year round. How many leagues are you currently in and how many more do you got coming down the pipe? I think last year, my in season, like redraft needing to adjust rosters every week total was like 10 or, or including dynasty. I think it was like 10 or 11. I'm trying to get that down to like eight to 10 I, for years. I was only three or four, you know, some guys like uh, Dwayne McFarland, uh, who's on my podcast, a lot of PFF fantasy football podcast. He's in like 70. So I'm not one of those people that are just in, you know, a zillion uh, FFPC leagues or anything or MFLs or anything like that. I do enjoy dabbling, you know, more in the best balls, but you're one and done with those. So hoping to settle in around uh, eight this year. The best ball has really kind of taken over. Uh, are you a purist? Do you kind of prefer the, the old way of doing things? Is there room for all of them? Where do you kind of sit on that? Do you have a favorite way of doing it? I have this room for all of them. I kind of enjoy uh, each room. I've just began the dynasty more in the last two or three years. And I've really enjoyed that. I mean, you know, you have your whole squad and it's definitely, uh, you know, almost tougher for me. Cause I have, you know, my uh, just favorite uh, players, you know, my Auden Tate's Cordero Patterson's. And when you have these 30, 35 player benches, I see one of them on the waiver. And it's like, well, I mean, I can't just let them be sitting here as a free agent right now. What kind of, what kind of friend am I to these guys? Uh, but no, I, I just think the dynasty, you know, having the longer term view, with things and you know the startup drafts are so uh just kind of intricate there's so many different things to think about uh, i really enjoy the dynasty side of things probably would still have to go redraft uh number one best ball is fun just because you know drafting is i think that most people's favorite parts of the thing and for us to be able to just do the one and done and get out uh, always a good time and it's pretty easy to do the streams throughout the offseason which i think people like honestly though i think i still am more of a dfs guy uh, at heart you know my come up was really with uh fancy labs jonathan bales uh peter Jennings helped teach me a lot of the stuff that I know uh, today and just, you know, I guess having the having the week to week nature, everything resets, having the whole pricing part of it to examine. I just feel like, uh, you know, DraftKings, FanDuel, wherever you want to play, uh, I'd never run out of things to really analyze that. And the fact that it resets itself so quickly every single week. I mean, it's just one of those things where, like, you can know as much as possible about uh, real life football, even fantasy football. But if you're not, you know, really tapped into which guys are values are not based on their price tags. Uh, it can change everything. Uh, do you have a favorite football team or does doing so much fantasy kind of uh, stray you from doing that? 
I am a Cowboys fan. I have had to become, you know, much more, <laughs> much more objective over the years. I would say, you know, I'm still an ignorant Ohio State fan, but with the Cowboys, like more and more, I just root for the players uh, over the teams. But I don't think my mother would let me say anything other than Cowboys. It's funny. I'm uh, in between moves right now. So recording this from my mom's basement, uh, certainly not uh, planning on staying here much longer. But usually there's over my uh, right shoulder, there's a Cowboys uh, clock and stuff like that. I had to take it down last week because I had had a Los Angeles Chargers wide receiver, Mike Williams, on the podcast. Sure. And I didn't want to be uh, ticking him off with any Cowboys propaganda in the, in the background. But it's funny, man, because I grew up, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an Ohio lifer. And, you know, some people might be saying, oh, how can you not be a Browns fan, Ian? You know, as someone that's 28 years old, I have seen two Cowboys playoff wins in my entire life. So I have suffered just as much as a lot of those Browns fans. Yeah, so you, have, you have not done it for the wings. Right, exactly. So don't call me, you know, this bandwagon uh, front runner, just a situation where my mom, uh, you know, spent about a decade in Dallas. Her whole family was always the fans. When you grow up and there's just a bunch of Cowboys stuff in the household, you become a Cowboys fan. That's right. Uh, and, you know, I thought it was interesting. I, I love the when you get the players on. Sometimes interviewing the players, you know, can go a certain way. You, you never really know. You had Antonio Gibson on uh, and he was great. How did that interview go for you? Yeah, Gibson was awesome, man. You, you said it, man. Like I met, it's funny. I uh, I got a podcast coming up at three with a uh, with a uh, Rich Rebar, and I have uh, ten questions planned for him. And I'm sure, like, I'm gonna have to really work to get those ten questions within sixty minutes. First player interview I did, I had ten questions, and I finished them, and I was like, "How are we only eight minutes into this thing? Like, it's just different, man. They are professional football players, and I'm so thankful they are willing to give me even twenty minutes to talk. But it's an entirely new conversation. I've gotten more nervous for the player ones, and I. I have doing podcasts in years and uh yeah but no antonio gibson uh, i would say mike davis mike williams uh, a lot of these guys i feel like do come on just willing to talk about things but the more you can help them and not uh one thing i realized pretty quickly i think i was talking to uh deandre swift and i was like hey man so like more more snaps in the slot out wide like what do you think your role is going to be and yeah you know, what are they going to say they just say what they should say like i'll do whatever coach will ask me to do i'll do what's best uh for the team so just learning to uh you know what question you can kind of get the most out of them, get their thoughts on, you know, some of their college buddies that were out there, get their thoughts on just regular league events is great because a lot of these guys, they're not fantasy football fans uh, necessarily. They no, no one I've talked to dislikes it per se. They're just kind of new to it and don't exactly play. So uh, the more you can tap into just what makes them a football fan and then, you know, what, what kind of the, uh, players they, you know, really like growing up and stuff like that. I find that gets the best kind of conversation going with them. Antonio Gibson certainly seems to be the fantasy football darling this year. Where do you see him getting drafted? And if they start throwing him the ball more, which the offense coordinator, I think, has said he plans to I mean it really should be a good year for him. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, look at my ranks right now. He is my RB 13. And that feels honestly just a little bit low, all things uh, considered, because his ceiling is as, uh, you know, first we were going with a DC CMC nickname, but now I think we're just going with AGDC uh, with the ripoff of ACDC. But Gibson, yeah. man, he has that potential. If they say, you know what, we want you to be our version of McCaffrey to get 80, 90 targets. And then he has legit top five upside. The question is, will McKissick be going anywhere? The guy led the position and targets last year in a fantasy football. Yeah. 
And fantasy football land, man, we want those targets more than anything. I was actually surprised. Targets are actually over the past 10 years more correlated with fantasy points than overall touches are. Like that's how freaking it's by 0.01. So they're both very correlated. But rush attempts, man, really just don't matter as much as a lot of people think they do when we're talking about some of these backs with the receiving upside. So Gibson, man, I think he's talented enough, you know, to do more with 300 touches and other guys. The question is going to be just how much of that uh, target share he's able to wrestle away from McKissick. So right now, I think he's right in that range where if he's there in round two, I am taking him every single time. Basically, I have uh, right outside my uh, right on my borderline, Najee Harris, RB12, Gibson, RB13, Clyde, RB14. After that is about when I'm starting to go back to wide receivers and taking whichever top 12 guys are left there. But, you know, I maintain if you can get one or two of those top 14 running backs this year, used to be top 15 before the Cam Akers injury, two of those top 14 guys, I think you're going to be very happy with that start. And do you expect Henderson to take a big bump simply because of the Akers injury? Or are you concerned that they'll bring somebody in for competition and, and, and ruin the draft slot? I mean, it's certainly it's not Acres. I, I didn't just replace, you know, Acres with Henderson uh, in the old fancy ranks because Henderson right. has only played more than 50 percent of the offensive snaps in two of his games. And McVay's even come out and said, like, they're not sure if he's, you know, just has the durability to last the whole year. But he's also coming out and not signing anyone else, at least for the time being. Uh, one of my, uh, you know, regular guests on the PFF fantasy pod, Andrew Erickson, he's naming Adrian Peterson as the guy he thinks gets signed there before Ooh. the season starts. And that is Perfect. a risk. But. I think the eventual veteran they bring in, even though McVay's saying they're not looking now, I think they will eventually bring in someone else just for numbers, but the type of player they bring in is going to be what's so important. If it's AP, that's not good. Now you're threatening Henderson's status as the lead early down back in this offense. If it's Duke Johnson or someone, as much as I love Duke Johnson, it's probably going to be okay because now we're just looking at a scat back third down or third down type of player in the system. So I think, uh, you know, it's going to depend on who they draft, but overall I have Henderson slotted in as my RB 18, you know, right around that Dave Montgomery, Dobbins, Swift, ETN tier. I just think that we're looking at an offense that most people probably project to be a top 12 scoring unit. And even if we're not looking at the same sort of 80, 90%, uh, you know, snap rate as acres was going to get, it's still a pretty good situation to be in Henderson right now when I checked yesterday had an ADP I think that's the RB 29 on underdog he was the RB 29 in weeks one through 13 last year before acres played more than 33 percent of the snaps for the first time so you know I always want to try to get in situations where we're seeing guys priced closer to their floor than their ceiling yes Henderson has boomed up the boards but I was expecting him to be flirting with his top 15 drop position where he's going right now I'm all in what kind of bump does Stafford get by moving over to that Rams offense, if any? Oh, it's huge, man. I just think things are going to be so much easier for him. And, I mean, you lock – you know, people uh, might not, you know, give a shit what you and me have to say about some of these players with real life assets. You know, we want to hear about the actual players. Like, what do, you know, their peers think? And Aaron Rodgers, for him to come out, you know, on that Pat McAfee show throughout this last year and just give Stafford all sorts of props for the things he's able to do throwing the football uh, really stuck out to me. Because if you've, you know, had the unfortunate privilege of watching the Lions over the past few years, you do see Stafford making just at least a couple throws a game that make you shake your head. I mean, that dude truly has a bazooka for a right arm. And 
just a shame he had to spend so many years of his career, you know, dink and dunking the theoretic and Golden Tate. I, I love Golden Tate, but I mean, come on, we got a guy that can throw the ball over the moon. Let's uh, see, let's see him do it a couple of times. But like I was saying, it's just going to be easier with the Rams, and we have some metrics, you know, behind our funky PFF paywalls and all that that can help demonstrate that. Since 2017, which is when McVay got in with the Rams, the Rams ranked first in play action rate. The Lions 27th. Pressure rate, Rams are 12th, Lions are 15th. Screen rate, Rams are 7th, Lions are 14th. Drop rate, Rams are 2nd, Lions are 13th. Shifter motion rate, Rams are 7th, Lions are 27th. Targets the open or wide open receivers, Rams 4th, Lions 21st. Like, Jared Goff was able to be a legit QB1 for two years under Sean McVay. I'm confident Matthew Stafford, who was able to do that for, you know, a good five, six years over the past decade, will be able to do it with better weapons inside a better offense on a much better team. As a UGA lifer, it pained me to watch Stafford toil away. <laughs> and when they had talked about Washington being in on the trade this year, I got all super excited, all yeah. for not. <laughs> we got Fitzpatrick, though. What do you think the, the ceiling is for Fitzpatrick as far as, you know, fantasy value goes? I mean, he could be 2021's premier late round quarterback. And they're going through, you know, the motions of doing this actual QB competition in Washington. Maybe Taylor Heineke, you know, just keeps playing because he played awesome in that playoff game. But that's not the only time we've seen Taylor Heineke play football over the years. And the fact that this is now Fitzpatrick's first situation in really four years where he hasn't had a Jameis Winston, a Josh Rosen or a Tua, like a legit top five first round quarterback, like, of course they're going to bench him for those guys need to figure out what they had in them. But if you watched him over the past three years, he outplayed James, he outplayed Rosen, he outplayed Tua. And now he's finally in a situation where he doesn't have, you know, that quarterback behind him where we can just worry about who's the better quarterback. It's not like they're going to be playing Heineke, you know, on a four and four contending team. If they just like want to see what they have in the guy, like we're past that stage with Fitzpatrick, which is huge because in those three situations, the guy's been nothing other than a fantasy QB one in weeks one through three 2018, when Jameis was suspended, the QB one in weeks seven through 17, after they finally said, you know what, Josh, Fun times. You're not our future quarterback. Go back to the bench. He was the QB two only behind Lamar Jackson in 2019. Finally in 2020 weeks one through six before he quote unquote lost his job to Tua. He was the QB eight. So fits is someone going outside the top 20. And I think if you find yourself, you know, with a Justin Fields or Trey Lance, one of these guys where you worry about when exactly they're going to be on the field fits and uh, definitely Kirk Cousins, if he's still available, those are my two late round quarterbacks. I'm really trying to pair with those guys. I am not convinced at all, Ian, that uh, Garoppolo starts the year. Uh, I think it's Lance. Shanahan had RG3 here. They, he knows kind of a way to bridge a quarterback like that. And I, I'd be stunned if they gave up all those picks and didn't play him week one. What do you think the chances are there? I, I know that the coaches come out and said that Garoppolo is firmly uh, implanted as QB1. I'm not buying it. Yeah, how quickly the times changed. A couple months ago, Shanahan wouldn't even confirm if Jimmy G was alive. Now he's trying to tell us he's for sure the starting QB. But yeah, you said it, man. It'd be a hell of a lot easier to believe if we didn't see three first-round picks uh, swap, uh, you know, hands with this. And I just think Lance is such a different quarterback than him. Like, if they would have gone Mac Jones, I think it might have made more sense to wait. But like, they're not going to be running the same offense with Jimmy G versus 
versus Trey Lance under center. So it seems like it behooved them to get Lance out there sooner rather than later. It could be a little bit, but history tells us that little bit usually isn't all that long. Over the past 10 years, 19 of 23 quarterbacks selected inside the top 10 went on to start at least 10 games. And as much as Jimmy G like isn't a bad quarterback, you look at his numbers. I mean, among 80 qualified quarterbacks last four years, the dude's second in yards per attempt, 11th in QB rating, 16th PFF passing grade. The thing is, he's 70th in big time throw rate, 74th in average target depth. And if you've watched even just a few highlights from Lance, you know, with that bazooka for an arm that he's got that, uh, you know, he's not going to be digging and dunking quite as much. Obviously, the rushing ability adds a new threat to the offense. I think Jimmy G is far better than your usual, you know, incumbent starter for a team picking number three. But again, based on those draft picks, based on the difference in quarterbacks, I think week seven after their week six buy is the latest we'll see Lance. And if not, like the one good thing is right after their week six, by i think they have like cardinals rams uh bears and like uh, the colts i think those are like their four games so four pretty tough defenses i think that could be the point where we see you know the true change happen because hey if we get that we just need that change to happen honestly before like the final six seven games of the year because the 49ers weeks 14 through 17 schedule when we want our fancy you know playoff quarterbacks they get the Bengals, the falcons the titans and the texans man that's the, you know, that's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. We just need to try to get there. And that's why I'm saying, you know, in the meantime, I think Fitzpatrick Cousins can help you uh, ride out that wave. Because once Lance is under center, he's going to be a QB1. Uh, it feels like Lawrence is the man that nobody talks about. Why do you think that is? And where do you see him? Lawrence is, a, I think, a good example of the difference between having fantasy rankings, like trying to win your league and having fantasy rankings to try to win the fantasy pros ranking contest, because Lawrence is going to start 17 games, unlike Fields and unlike Lance. Because of that, we should expect him to score more total fantasy points. But is that really what we want overall? Like, I don't think so, man. It's why we talk about points per game more often than overall points. And when all three quarterbacks are starting in week 10, we're probably going to want Lance and Fields because they are just such more run first quarterbacks. And I'm not saying Lawrence can't run. I saw that dude go, you know, 60 yards through the heart of my Ohio state defense uh, back, you know, in 2019 or whatever, he's got some wheels, but every single move from the Jaguars since the offseason started, man, has been rough. And, you know, I wasn't discounting urban Meyer coming there. I thought, okay, urban in his later days at Ohio state, he really turned the offense over to Ryan day, you know, had more of the CEO role. And I could see that working at the NFL level, but since urban's gotten there, he does the Iowa strength coach thing. That makes no sense. They had all this cap room, all these high round picks, they come away with Jamal Agnew, Marvin Jones, Carlos Hyde, and Chris Manhurts, Travis Etienne, who they're now calling a slash, and Tim Tebow, who is still out there making headlines for some reason. And if Tim Tebow plays, like if he makes a team and stuff, they are going to use him as a bullshit Wildcat quarterback inside the five or 10 in that annoying Taysom Hill-esque manner. And then finally, like the whole Travis Etienne slash thing, I'm not really concerned about that for ETN. If he's getting the receptions, that's great. I think he can do it reasonably well enough. What that tells me, though, is that Urban Meyer might be here to run his offense. And, you know, credit to Urban for more or less, you know, maybe not solely inventing the spread at Bowling Green, but really being the first guy, I think, to get uh, getting well with the read option. But 
when we saw the JT Barrett 2016 season and stuff like that, Ohio State passing game was broken. I don't necessarily trust Urban's offensive mind to lead him to success in the NFL. I trust maybe his CEO leadership ability, finding great athletes, finding great coaches to put the players in position and everything. But again, the more the more the decisions we see being made, the more it seems like Urban, the egomaniac he is, the decision maker where he needs to control everything. Um, you know, we see him just having his hands all over the organization. So all those factors for me just has me a little bit lower on uh, Lawrence. And honestly, at the end of the day, biggest factor is just, again, Lance Fields getting more, I think, uh, design rush attempts on a week-to-week basis. When we look at the quarterback position, Ian, how do you – it feels like every year I'm like, wait, don't take quarterback early, don't take quarterback early, and then I take a quarterback early. <laughs> Where do you sit on that? Do you try to get value early or just say, listen, there's not enough value, I will wait till the end? Just depends on the draft, man. I was in one, uh, you know, mock, uh, I think on sleeper with some analysts and I ended up taking the first quarterback. So it was like in round five instead of round three. So I, I think a lot of times, you know, with these zero RBs and now our anchor RBs and just all robust RB, we all have these draft strategies and people just kind of want to put their name next to one of them, really hang their hat on that. When in reality, you know, take the value as the draft comes. If you see five wide receivers go off the board in the first five picks, I'd hope you take a running back first round and like not just stick to some plan that you started uh before like as we get new information we should adjust our plans accordingly just like in fantasy football and any part of life uh in my opinion so the, the quarterbacks i would say you know i find myself if i can get one of the big five mahomes lamar josh kyler dak if i can get them at a reasonable spot i'm pretty happy but otherwise kind of like tight end you know if i can get a tier one guy early uh, early-ish, great. If not, I'm pretty content to sit back and wait because I think guys like Baker, Kirk Cousins, Fitz, and these rookies, Trey Lance and Fields and stuff, I think they do boast, you know, legit QB1 upside as late as things are going for them. So, you know, if we're doing two QB or super flex, it's different. I think then you definitely got to load up on these guys sooner uh, rather than later. And then you can usually just get high-end dudes in the later rounds anyway. But uh, I would say single quarterback league, if you can get a stud, do it. If not, just, just wait a little bit and scoop up you know, a, a great running back or wide receiver in those spots. It feels like this year more than in the past, and maybe it has, and I just hadn't heard of it before, but everybody is talking about stacking. Uh, and so I'm curious which you think is the best stack currently. Uh, I would say in stacking, I mean, in best ball, it's very important because we're trying to take down this million dollar tournament with hundreds of thousands of entries and all that. Redraft, maybe not quite as important. Like I wouldn't necessarily, you know, if you have Dak Prescott and it's like Amari Cooper versus Terry McLaurin, okay, we can probably get Cooper, but like don't take, you know, CD Lamb over like DeAndre Hopkins just because you're trying to get a stack there. Maybe CD does outscore Hopkins. I don't know, the hype's running rampant, uh, rampant with him. I would just say uh, overall, one stack that I was loving before uh, the Julio Jones trade was Ryan Tannehill with AJB and those guys. Um, a personal favorite stack though. I'm just looking through the quarterbacks real quick. I would say probably fits. I would say a good one is McLaurin Fitzpatrick. And then you can actually run it back later without a Curtis Samuel or Logan Thomas. I mean, Curtis being there, man, being with an offensive staff that is used to using him, you know, Scott Turner was his OC in Carolina as well. They know what he brings to the table. It's an offense that should be pretty condensed around their top two receivers. And then for Logan Thomas, you know, 
as everyone knows, former QB, but for him to be an every down tight end, not just one of these guys that plays 50, 60% of their snaps. And we got to kind of worry about if he's going to get, you know, this specific touchdown on this possession. Uh, it's, it's a more concentrated passing game than we're used to. And other than McLaurin, all of them can be had uh, pretty cheap. So yeah, I would just say, you know, in general, don't, you know, break your back to stack these guys, but uh, it's nice. Uh, it's a nice, useful tiebreaker. Let's wrap with this. You mentioned the Washington stack. What does adding weapons do to, you know, the receiver's target share? So, I mean, is this bad for McLaurin? Does the number say that it doesn't really matter? Um, I'm always curious about that. I mean, it's looking pretty damn good for McLaurin if he is as established as their number one as, I mean, we think he is because Fitzpatrick, you know, the one thing, even before he was this great, you know, fantasy quarterback in recent years, even before then, man, he always found a way to get his number one receiver a high-priced second contract. Stevie Johnson, Brandon Marshall, Devontae Parker, most recently, all these guys were just getting fed by Fitz. In eight years where Fitz has had double-digit starts, his number one receiver has had 128 targets, 128, 134, 137, 141, 146, 148, and 173 to old man B Marsh on one of those jet squads. So Terry, I mean, when you're that established as a number one, I, I think it's okay, man. I hear some of these concerns, you know, with the Bengals, oh, Jamar Chase coming in and not hurting Higgins and Boyd. We need to consider too, though, like bringing more good players in the offense, even if it does shrink the target share a tad, there is a chance the efficiency goes up, like the Will Fuller effect. We'd see that in Houston. DeAndre Hopkins averaged more fantasy points per game with Will Fuller on the field than without, even though he had two fewer targets per game. He's getting those extra touchdowns. So it's just one factor in anything. And like, I think, you know, we've been kind of a theme of this podcast is there's not this one be all end all way for evaluating anything. We all got to use it as a piece of the puzzle. So, uh, you know, adding a new competition, great for the quarterbacks. I get it. We want 200 targets for all these receivers if possible, but similar to, you know, how most uh, backfields these days have two or three running backs. There's only, you know, a few McCaffrey, Saquon and Zeke's out there. There's only a few wide receivers, you know, in your Devante uh, Adams and your Stefan Diggs mold that, you know, are just guaranteed to be this, you know, 160 plus target target hog. So uh, for McLaurin, when we have an upgraded quarterback and then maybe just someone to help alleviate a little bit of attention from the defense, uh, I think it's a rather moot point. Ian, thanks, man. This was a whole lot of fun. Tell the folks where they can find you, what you got coming up next. Yeah, appreciate you, man. Good time as always. Uh, find me on Twitter at iheartitspff.com, the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Got new articles, podcasts coming out every single day. We got about six weeks before the season starts, people. I cannot wait. We got preseason ball coming up. Going to be talking about all that fancy draft strategy. Just, you know, football every single day because I love the sport, love the job. We're going to keep on grinding. But good talking to you, man. Best of, uh, best of luck to you and all the listeners uh, in this season and beyond. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Boom, all good? Yeah, thanks, bud.